Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and this time around, we're doing the Amazon TV show, The Boys which allows me to talk about comic history, recent trends in the world of comic book stories, but also going back thousands of years and across multiple cultures and civilizations to talk about this idea of the gods walking among us and how different cultures have done it in the past with weird echoes to today. I'm, I'm not going to lie on that one. So... Lots to be getting on with here, and let's start off with what is The Boys. Well, first of all, it was actually a comic book from 2006 to 2012, and it was created by Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson. And so the fact that it ran for six years, you can tell that the series finished before Amazon picked it up. And indeed, Amazon did pick it up. First series came out in 2018. And the fourth series at the time of recording hasn't yet come out. It's a little up in the air when it's going to come out, perhaps 2024. But there are multiple issues, as I said at the beginning, at the start of this, tells you a little bit about comic books today. What 2023 has been interesting is showing that blockbusters have a limited appeal. Guaranteed hits of the past aren't necessarily so. And this is for multiple reasons. People have been talking a long time about superhero burnout, and there just was no sign of it. I mean, when you get to 2019 and Avengers Endgame, it was like, well, that's one of the biggest movies of all time. Doesn't look like people are getting bored of this stuff, even though it's been going on for over 10 years. And before the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there had already been, for a good decade at least, Batman movies, X-Men films, throwing some Spider-Man while we're at it as well. So at some point, and this is the thing, the reason why people are saying there's going to be superhero burnout is because when you look at all genres, and superhero is a genre, a type of film, World War II films were incredibly hot in the 40s and 50s, and a little bit on into the 60s. But really, by the end of the 1960s, Everybody was done. There's only so many ways you can see the Allies defeat the Nazis. And also, with Vietnam going on in the background, something we realise that conflict is a little bit more nuanced than just Nazis are bad, which, for the record, is absolutely true. So that's one example. Then again, you know, for a large chunk of the 20th century, 
you get westerns, you know, the, the cowboys and all that kind of stuff. And they were sort of rather two-dimensional, let's say, in the 1930s. But by the time you get to the 1960s with spaghetti westerns, there's, again, more nuance, more moral grayness going on there. But by the 1970s, everybody had kind of given up on westerns. They just weren't the same automatic draw that they'd been previously. So look, those are two examples. So then when you go to superhero movies, there's only so many times you can see people doing stuff. It's therefore unsurprising that, well, let's also throw into this COVID, people got out of the habit of going to the movie theatre, and that's something that's affecting all types of films at the moment. But also Disney, in particular, started to train us that we should see our superheroes at home, or indeed Pixar at home. And so it led to people going, do you know what, I'll wait. If it's not a five-star film, why would I want to spend quite a lot of money when everybody's feeling the pinch at the moment with the cost of living going up and inflation going up? It's like, do I really want to spend 10, 11 pounds on a movie theatre ticket to see Ant-Man Quantum Mania when everybody's saying it's really meh? Indeed, I waited for it to appear on Disney+. And when I watched it, it was really meh. It's not a bad film, fundamentally, and I get that on screen it might have been quite visually interesting. But, nah, I'm glad I ended up seeing it for free in inverted commas, because, of course, I'm playing for Disney+. And so, with all this going on, The Boys, starting in 2018, the TV series, was coming in at the, we now know, kind of end game of people being interested in superheroes. And so the question is are people still going to be continued to be interested? And I'm going to argue that on certain types of films, the answer is very much yes. Look at 2022's The Batman, which was a huge hit. I mean, it wasn't maybe Marvel Cinematic Universe huge hit, but it was still big and it was doing something different. Or you've got Spider-Man No Way Home, which pulled together all of Spider-Man on-screen history for 20 years, and it worked really well. Put a big fat smile on everybody's face. Yay! But, you know, Ant-Man 3, yeah. Wakanda Forever, yeah. All of the DCEU movies, like Shazam, Fury of the Gods, or Black Adam, I mean, these are all turning into box office disappointments. Yeah, are people still going to be interested? But the hook with The Boys is this is about superheroes acting in a real way in a real world. And to be fair, while they really do commit to this, it's not the first time this has been done, okay? This is not unique to Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson, but they wholly commit to it. And indeed, the screenwriters of the TV show have done a great job of making this very, very adult indeed. I know Greg likes to throw in little snippets of shows and things like that, I'm going to give him a challenge to put out something of any meaning, any catchiness that isn't going to break our clean rating because it's really, really hard. Because one of the central characters, a person who's, if you like, hunting down superheroes because he hates them, is Billy Butcher, played by Carl Urban. And he's he's probably the foundation stone of the series. And he's clearly, Carl Urban's clearly having the time of his life playing Billy. And... I don't think Greg's going to be able to come up with anything meaningful that, that he can say because he is a very filthy-mouthed British person. People love that cosy feeling that Swoop's given. Some golden gentleman swoop out of the sky, save the day, so you don't got to do it yourself. But if you knew half the shenanigans they get up to, it's rather... Die
he's clearly meant to be a cockney, but it's laid on so thick by a Kiwi actor in an American TV show that if you're from London, you can see it's good, but it's not going to fool me. As I said, it's about real superheroes in the real world facing kind of the realities of politics and literally, I mean, literally politics in some cases. So let's talk about some of the ones that have sort of played around with this in the past. And I'm going to be honest, DC generally has been a bit darker than Marvel. So there was the classic comic book in the mid-1980s of The Dark Knight Returns, which was the first time we came up with the idea of Batman being old. He'd given up being Batman, but he's sort of drawn back to it. Like it's almost like a psychosis. It's a brilliant idea. It is my favorite comic book. It basically came out within a year of Watchmen. Most people consider Watchmen as the greatest Western comic book of all time. And it's certainly up there in my opinion. Just prefer Dark Knight Returns. I'm not going to argue between the two of them. They're both lovely children. Just personally, I prefer the, the Batman one. But in it, as an old cynical man, He's basically using too much. He still follows his rule. He's not killing anybody, but that doesn't mean I have to necessarily go easy on them and he unnecessarily breaks arms. And this is obviously all kinds of worry. The thing about superheroes is, and I don't want to sound like a sort of university student here, but the whole concept is fundamentally quite fascist. What on earth do I mean by that? Well, the idea is that fascism is a kind of military structured might is right society. And that's exactly what a superhero is. They have no technical legal framework to work within. They're not police officers. But what they do is they catch people and they're completely unaccountable to the law. They're obviously the whole thing about strength. A normal human being with normal human powers stands no chance against a Superman. Obviously, the irony with Batman is he obviously has no superpowers. But, you know, he's incredibly well skilled. He's got loads of money. That was a great line in the Justice League movie, which was... What are your superpowers again? I'm rich. And he's got a point there. Look at all these other rich guys doing whatever they want. Kind of unaccountable. And there are some comic books that do that as a kind of meditation about the fascistic nature of it. Particularly, it is overtly referenced in The Dark Knight Returns, and it's overtly referenced in Watchmen as well. But it's there in other places too, which allows me to jump over to Marvel and say Marvel Civil War, which was across lots of different Marvel comic books, and then obviously got turned into a movie as well, Captain America 3 Civil War, where the argument is, should we be accountable? Should we sign up to the government? And of course, if you're with a government, then the problem there is, do you have to do what the government tells you what to do? And going back to the Dark Knight Returns, this was truly unique at the time. In fact, it was so impactful, it's been copied loads of times that you're going to think, oh, this again. But the idea of Batman fighting Superman was invented in the Dark Knight Returns, where Batman knows that he's going to anger, in essence, a god, and so he's going to use every dirty trick in the book to try and bring Superman down. Why does he feel like he has to bring Superman down? Because if you have a weapon that powerful, you're going to make the other forces on the other side very uneasy. He's like a walking, talking nuclear bomb that can think for itself. So that might well lead to the Soviet Union to launch nuclear weapons. And so Batman wants to take him off the table, as it were. Stuff like that is also echoed in Watchmen and in also Civil War. You also get stuff like the X-Men, where, okay, it's not outrightly like this, but the X-Men came out at the same time as the civil rights movement in the 1960s, you got comic books reflecting society of the time, where the mutants, which 
One of the reasons why Stanley created the mutants is because he was fed up of coming up with explanations as to how people became superheroes. Bruce Banner was working in a laboratory and got hit by gamma rays and he became the Hulk. Peter Parker was bitten by a radioactive spider. There's a lot of radiation involved in it or falling into goop of chemicals that does not work for the record. So in this case, if there's just kind of a mutant gene that gives you superpowers and people have different superpowers, nobody needs to fall into a vat of acid ever again. Hallelujah. But the mutant gene leads to the idea of like, well, you need to register and maybe these people are dangerous. Maybe we should wipe them out. And so there's echoes of things like the Holocaust there. I've heard these arguments before. It was a long time ago. Mankind has evolved since then but also echoes of your other, we're scared of you, much like civil rights. So weirdly, do you know what? Some comic books, even though they've got superheroes in them, have something interesting to say. Now, in the world of the boys, you have lots of different superheroes. I don't want to go into too much of the plot, okay? If you haven't seen it, I'm pretty late to the game. I basically, the third season had come out, and then eventually as my teenage son goes, oh, you should watch this, you'll love this, Dad. And I was like, hang on, that's rated 18. What's going on in it? And, and like I say, it's very adult. And I had to sit him down and have a conversation saying, look, clearly I can't stop you seeing this stuff, but we need to have a conversation about some of these scenes and are they actually reflective of real life or real relationships, etc. Again, I go no further. But... There are superheroes popping up in a number of different places, but you have this company called Vought, and Vought have the Seven, which consider it like the Avengers. I may be Gem. Actually, Gem's not a bad name, you know, if they say Gem, I can magically cover myself in like diamond skin, so I'm basically impervious. That would be a pretty cool superhero, Gem. Gem. But because I'm not part of the Seven, I might do very well in my area of, you know, West London. People go, hey, there's Jem, yeah, the diamond guy. That would be fine, but I'm not going to get a film contract or anything like that. That is all handled by Vought because it's a huge commercial enterprise, much like Amazon, much like Disney. And so you have these superheroes that are being constantly turned into TV shows and movies and video games, etc. So they're product and people get cycled in and out of the group, much like with things like the Avengers. I mean, it's an incredibly clever way of looking at commerciality, the free market, capitalism, but also our obsession with superheroes and the idea of people being better than us. There is a lot going on in terms of society being reflected in the TV show. I am a huge fan of The Boys for the record. I may have set it up a little bit soft, but, you know, here it come in, if you are of the right age, and you're not easily offended by scenes of an adult nature or extreme violence or bad language, you're going to have a ball with the boys because it really goes off in interesting directions. And, and I'll come on to this in a minute, the four central characters have incredible depth to their characterization and their story arcs as well. But going back to Vought as an organization, an enterprise, of course, the problem there is... They're all a bunch of normal humans, and you're looking after these superhumans. So what do they do if the superhuman goes off script? Now, you could, in theory, say that if they get off script for too long, you can always bin one of them and bring somebody else on who's more willing to play ball. True, but of course these people are so incredibly powerful. And one of the things they show in a couple of scenes, and I've often wondered this about something like Superman, is the fact that, look, all of us have made mistakes. 
you might drop your child or something like that, you know, bump your head, etc. You might bump into somebody. And the thing here is, there isn't any real lasting damage in that situation. You apologise and very quickly you sort of say, oh, they should have got out of my way. No, you were the problem. But human beings generally rationalise things as other people getting in the way. But if you're a superhero and you make a mistake, somebody could be dead. An entire tower block could have been destroyed and everybody in it is now dead. And it's not necessarily like they meant to do it, but it's one of these things where, oh, okay, you know, sorry, my bad. Well, that's not good enough. 20 people are now dead. Oh, it was their fault they got in the way. And so it's really interesting. These people are acting in, they may have superpowers, but they're still fundamentally very, very human, which is really interesting and allows me to go on. And, and actually, just before I do, I'm going to talk about one other comic book. So we all know about the all-American hero Superman. Well, there was a brilliant comic book that came out a while ago called Superman Red Sun. And basically the story is exactly the same. You know, he's being shot off from Krypton. Krypton's being destroyed and he's being sent to Earth. It's just the events happen differently. The events will happen, but they happen a few hours. I can't remember if it's earlier or later. So the point is that by the time Superman's spaceship goes all the way across the galaxy to Earth, the Earth has rotated slightly so that he doesn't land in Kansas and gets brought up by the Kents in the 1930s, which is when Superman was first written. But then he lands in the Soviet Union and becomes part of the propaganda machine of Stalinist Russia. And so you get the idea of if you've only ever been shown a certain thing, the whole thing about, as the Jesuits say, just very briefly, you're hopefully aware of the Reformation, this break with the church where suddenly this idea of, hang on, we don't have to listen to the Pope anymore. Maybe we do it ourselves. And so generally the people who aren't, at least at the beginning, who weren't Catholic were now Protestant. So the Pope, in essence, was losing millions of Christian followers. We need to bring them back again. So he created the Jesuits, these elite speechifying argumentative priests to go out into the community and try and woo people back to the Catholics. And there was this quote attributed to the Jesuit movement, which is, give me the boy for 10 years and I will show you the man. So the idea there is if you catch them young, you can raise them your way, which happens to Superman in Red Sun. And let's face it, it happens to Superman in the normal story as well. He's sort of indoctrinated with truth, justice, and the all-American way. Democracy is best. The Soviets are bad. Because that's how people thought in America in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, etc. So he's a reflection. All these superheroes are a reflection of the society around them, which we'll come on to on the history side in a bit. But you can see already there's all kinds of societal history being reflected weirdly by people in spandex and capes. I digress. I've already mentioned Carl Urban, but I want to go into a little bit more depth about that character. And indeed, I'm going to do sort of four characters. There are lots of other characters. Everybody's interesting. There is nobody who's just like a cookie cutter. I'm a good guy, etc. To be fair to the Marvel world, it would be really boring if everybody was like that. And actually even in something as mainstream as the Marvel Cinematic Universe, people have doubts. Sometimes they make mistakes, they argue. We can talk about whether the quality is still there and maybe everybody's turned into snark fest, but the writers are actually writing, okay? The people aren't just boring and two-dimensional. But you're allowed to go a little bit further in something a bit more adult and a bit more cultish, like the boys. Carl Urban. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. ...plays Billy Butcher. Now, Billy Butcher is introduced in the first episode when Huey bumps into him, and I'll tell you about Huey in a minute, and he's incredibly shifty and incredibly grumpy, and he clearly has a huge chip on his shoulder, and he just swears all the time, and he says he's CIA, but he just seems a bit seedy, even for the CIA. It's like, maybe he's a vagrant who's just got attitude. Who knows? And so, immediately, as soon as we meet him, he's quite enigmatic, and it takes ages to find out why he has such a beef with the superheroes. Apart from the fact that there's a whole bunch of people there who are fairly envious of the superheroes. It's more deep than that with Billy. And the great thing about him is there are times where you could absolutely slap him in the face. There are times when you go, enough, I'm done, I'm out of here. It's a bit like what happens to Huey's opinion over the course of the series. But there are also times when you see he is just another human being. He is vulnerable. There are times when he's incredibly cynical and uses people, but there are also times when he absolutely does the right thing and does something, dare I say it, even a bit noble. Although if I said that to him, he would use one of his catchphrases, which we can't play to you in this podcast. But he's just great value. However, the classic thing in storytelling is if you're introducing something like new and unusual, it's great to have somebody who's seeing it for the first time like the viewer who's actually sitting there in the cinema, or in this case, in front of the TV. And that is Huey in this series, played marvellously by Jack Quaid. And he is just kind of like this innocent that slowly gets sucked into this. And he ends up doing a pretty good job for Billy in a quite gross and terrible way, but doesn't quite mean to do it. 
So he's sort of almost an idiot savant, as they say. He is actually a smart guy. He's just like anybody else. He's a bit of a wimp. He may be against something, but I don't want to cause a fuss. I don't want to lose my job over it or anything like that. So Huey is very much the everyman. And right at the beginning, again, I do not want to spoil this, even though it's in scene one, episode one, the way Huey gets involved with all of this is just so interesting and so compelling and creates a bit of a mystery that we want to follow with Huey. But again, there are times when Huey, where you're sitting there going, oh, stop whining, man. Can you not see these people are trying to help you? You know, you're deliberately glass half empty sort of guy at this moment in time. And so again, he's in-depth and interesting and there is a story to be told there with Huey. Flipping around from Huey, we've got Emma Moriarty playing Starlight. Now, that is such an awesome surname, I cannot swear to whether or not that might possibly be a screen name. I mean, with the name Jem Daduchu, that sounds pretty made up, but I assure you, I'm real. I've just been lumbered with that, but Moriarty, cool name. Erin, if that's really your family name, if you come from a great line of supervillains, respect. If it's a stage name, well, you picked a great one because it's very memorable. Either way, Erin, you're awesome, okay? And she plays Starlight. Now, Erin is, how can I put this? She is that quintessential thing that a company like Vought with their seven would want. She is a Midwestern girl. She's blonde. She's pretty. She's going to sell product, basically. But there is a marvellous tension there because mildest of mildest spoilers, but you can see this coming off a mile. But Starlight gets her, who's actually her real name is Annie, but Starlight is the stage name like Batman or Spider-Man or whatever. So Starlight becomes one of the seven and she's got an eminently sensible outfit that she's created for herself before she joined the seven that isn't sexy enough for her so the little cape and the skirt and the boots are sort of all sort of stripped away and so it's really quite a revealing leotard type thing with a zip up the front which is of course all the way taken down so you can see some cleavage and she's wearing a wig of cascades of blonde curls i thought that just the makeup department had done a great job with her hair nope they, they very much go out of the way to show you no this is just stuff i have to wear over my normal hair because they want me to and she isn't so sure about it the other people in the seven have been in it for so long they're now going along with all the corruption and the easy rides etc whereas she is the new girl if you like she's the superhero equivalent of huey she's new to this part of the world and we're seeing it through her eyes and she's disgusted with it for very 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 good reasons i might add and so what happens in the end is, well, not in the end, um, no spoilers for this happens in the first series, but basically Huey and Starlight become boyfriend and girlfriend. Now, obviously, he doesn't reveal to her that he's out to kill superheroes, and she doesn't reveal to him initially that she's got superpowers. And the chemistry between the two of them, between Aaron and Jack, you just believe. I'm not saying it's chemistry in the sense of, oh, super, super sexy and sweaty or anything like that. But they just fit well together. Quite frankly, if I found out in the real world the two of them are dating, that would fit. These two people just seem lovely together. I mean, it doesn't mean they should go out in real life. But the point is, they pick the right people for the roles. Erin is this brilliant job of like, everybody's just judging her on her looks. She's very, very slim. And so she looks little. Typical sort of petite actress, which is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go there. Whereas in reality, she has incredible superpowers. So she is absolutely not to be underestimated. So that's them. But then the jewel in the crown has to be, I mean, all these other people given out loads of love to. 
But we have to talk about Anthony Starr. Again, suspiciously cool surname, even though it's double R. But again, Anthony, if that's your real family name, you are a star. Uh, you're a star anyway, because you're doing an amazing job in this series. But if you are actually Anthony Shufflebottom, then you do you. So he plays Homelander. And Homelander is the boys' version of Superman, but the dark stuff that I've already been talking to you about. So what's interesting is, as I said, Annie is the real name of Starlight, and we find out the names of pretty much all the other superheroes. But Homelander is always Homelander. Nobody suddenly stops saying, hey, John, his name is Homelander. And also, while there are a couple of scenes where he is out of his super suit, largely naked rather than anything else, like I say, very adult, if you were, but even sometimes when he's doing that, he keeps the cape on. But he is always wearing the suit. And what is just brilliant about him is he is a complete psychopath. And again, I don't want to go into, they tell you why. And you understand his motivations. But in season two, there's this incredibly chilling scene where Starlight confronts Homelander and says, I'm going to do something that would make you look bad in front of everybody. And Homelander says, okay. Let's work that out, shall we? And then chillingly, over the course of like a minute, he describes how, with his powers and the fact that he is unstoppable, how he would be able, within one morning, to completely annihilate the American governmental structures. Black out cities, kill the president, destroy the military infrastructure, etc. And so the whole of America would now either be in anarchy or would have to recognize him as king of America or something like that. It is a brilliant speech. I don't think there's any bad language in that one. So maybe Greg puts that in or they might say, no, there's quite a lot of bad language in it or I couldn't find it or whatever. Go ahead. Release it. Let's light this candle, huh? I mean, sure, I'll lose everything, but then I'll have nothing to lose. First, I'll take out the nerve centers, the White House, the Pentagon, then any domestic defense capabilities, and then critical infrastructure, like cellular, internet, that kind of thing. The sheer genius of Homelander is when he's when you just look at him his cape is literally an american flag and interestingly most superheroes they just have a kind of very figure hugging suit this one i mean it's still figure hugging but on both shoulders he's got little pauldrons like little shoulder pads if you like and they're of eagle heads and his suit is, is sort of blue and red he is the red white and blue basically he is the embodiment of america like superman and he has laser eye powers and he can fly etc and he's blonde and he's always incredibly charismatic in front of the cameras and he'll save some soldiers for example in a war zone and then he'll say no you guys are the real heroes it's like well they're not bulletproof with the laser eyes that can fly at the speed of sound so he knows what's to say he knows how to play an audience but what is brilliant about Anthony Starr is he'll He'll be smiling and smiling and waving to people and sort of like finger gunning them. It's like, hey, yeah, you, no, you kind of thing. And then as soon as the camera switches off and he walks off stage, the smile immediately evaporates. He is just utterly dead inside. And what is brilliant in the series is they show his desperation. Really, what his kryptonite is more than anything else is he wants to be loved. Genuinely loved and adored. 
And, you know, you can't have that when you're that powerful. People either see you as just Homelander or they're scared of you. And there's very, very good reasons to be scared of him. He carries out all kinds of horrific acts of death and destruction and murder, which he justifies, in essence, as that person got in my way or that taught you a lesson. No, you shouldn't kill people to teach people a lesson. But you can see that playing a role like that would be incredibly hard. You could absolutely play it pure evil, but then to have that kind of switch honorable media charisma at the same time, and just also that vulnerability, it is a role of a lifetime for anybody. And I cannot wait to see where things go with Homelander and Billy, where obviously they do not see eye to eye. All of this is going on. I've been waffling on for nearly 30 minutes now. So let's get into the more historical interpretations of this, which I find fascinating. Just before I do, hey, please click subscribe. Tell somebody else about it. Give us a review. All of this stuff helps people find our little podcast. Thank you very much. I'm at Gemzadooch on Twitter. You can always say hi to me there. Hello, hello. Let's go into the actual historical areas. And what's interesting is you might think, oh, this is 2,000, 3,000 years ago. Then they're going for the Superman style of these are people awesome and we must sort of live, look up to them and live up to them. But no, if you start looking at the legends, not the sanitized Disney versions, but the actual original legends, there is a lot of darkness there. There is a recognition of that kind of Homelander type character. I mean, not literally because, you know, he's, he's media trained. But if we take, well... Nowadays known in the West as Hercules, Heraclius is actually the, the Greek name for him. Let's just say Hercules. So, you know, there's the 12 tasks of Hercules. And the thing is, if you read the stories about Hercules, is he's not always right. He doesn't always get it. Sometimes he's morally compromised. And what's interesting is, cutting a long story short, of course, that there are a lot of these heroes or deities, etc., have some kind of death scene in the books. You may not be aware of it, but he's tricked into wearing of a tunic which is covered in poisonous barbs. He's angered the centaurs and the centaurs want revenge. You know what it's like with centaurs, right? And basically he is in so much wild pain from this poisoning. And basically in the ancient world, poison weapons were used, but they were always seen as incredibly dishonorable. If you won through poison weapons, did you really win? But hey, I won, is what the winner's going to say. And this is an example of the kind of revulsion of it, that in the end, Hercules is so overwhelmed with pain, he throws himself onto a fire and burns. But that's a good example of somebody... Now, you could argue he's a demigod rather than a god-god, but that's kind of what a superhero is. Wolverine is not a deity, but would be an incredibly fierce warrior to fight if he actually really existed. That's an example with Hercules, and it is interesting. Hercules and a lot of the gods are actually in various comic book formats, both DC and Marvel, because, of course, they don't have any copyright to them. The most famous one is obviously Thor, because he's literally in the Avengers, and everybody knows that he's a Viking god. But again, Thor, Loki, Odin, particularly Odin, he is seen very suspiciously. When he turns up in the stories and starts dealing with mere mortals, people are afraid of him. Loki may have the reputation of the trickster, but so's Odin as well. And he's always shown as one-eyed. Where's the other eye? We had it plucked out because he wanted to know secrets. He was so obsessed with knowledge that he was willing to hideously disfigure himself. That is a very human way of looking at things. And it's the same thing with Zeus. 
oh, the amount of times that he's turned himself into an animal and forced himself on a woman, that's just a whole genre of Greek storytelling. I'm really not making that up, unfortunately. And so, again, we've got a man who sexually assaults women. We've got, well, I say a man, we've got a deity that sexually assaults women and destroys people and tricks people. None of these people are actually, it actually starts showing you how innovative something like Superman was to come up with something so noble that was on the sides of humans. That This is the problem with the gods. In the oldest story in Europe, the Trojan Wars, you've got the gods constantly interfering in human affairs, and people aren't happy about that. This is not necessarily a good thing, and of course sometimes the gods pick the other side. The other areas, I mean, look, we could talk about ancient Egypt, etc., etc., but the other area I want to talk about a living religion is you go to India and the Hindu religion has got lots of different gods in it and again they squabble, they cheat, they lie. Some are clearly far more noble than others. There are in essence good guy gods and bad guy gods but at the same time they are recognized as being so awesomely powerful that you might want to be a little bit careful. There are exceptions. Generally in the West, one of the most popular Hindu gods is Ganesh, because that's the one with the elephant head and we all love elephants. But the symbol of Ganesh is the swastika rotating the right way. And so I remember when I was in India, there was a man sitting there that was imprinting swastikas onto every single brick he was going to bake. And just as a Westerner looking at that just sent a chill down my spine, but that's Western bias. That is a terrible regime that for just a couple of decades hijacked a symbol of, and I asked, went, what's that symbol mean to you? And he says, this is security, this is money, this is safety. And it's like, well, yeah, who wouldn't want a house built out of bricks saying those three things? Makes complete sense. And it's been like that in India for more than 2,000 years. But what the boys is showing you is this idea of when gods and mortals start rubbing shoulders together, it's always the mortals that come off worst. And yes, sometimes the gods may fight amongst themselves. Sometimes a god may defend a mortal against another god. But even then, it may not be a happy ever after. So it is a constant obsession in literature around the world, once again emphasized in something like the boys, that human beings are always aware of their frailties, their shortcomings. And we write about this in various forms of literature and religion. I find that incredibly fascinating. So, this sounds good. If you haven't checked out The Boys, it's on Amazon Prime right now. I would recommend it, like I say, if you're the right age. I want to do one quick note and shout out to another player in the show, and that is Giancarlo Esposito. Now, you may not know the name, but you probably recognize the face. He's Gus. He is the main bad guy, if you can call it that, in Breaking Bad. And he was phenomenal as Gus Fring in Breaking Bad and also in Better Call Saul, which led to him basically playing bad guys ever since then. It could be in a video game like Far Cry 6, or it could be in the Mandalorian TV show. And therefore, while yes, he's very good at being that incredibly haughty, intelligent, he's not a physically threatening, but he's like always four steps ahead of you type villain as the CEO, the head of Vought, he is in one way perfect for the role, but in another way, oh, him again. There's no 
arguing about, well, clearly he's manipulative and, you know, he's logical and cold and calculating. And while he does that really well, it's a bit of a typecast, really, at the moment for him on that one. And it's the one bit of, shall we say, unoriginality in the show. Like I say, it's been riffing off lots of other things out there. But on that one particular thing, it's like, could we not get Mr. Esposito to do this role? Is there nobody else who could do it where we might as soon as we see him have question marks about his moralities, rather than instantly know that he's an utterly amoral individual. That's just my point on that one. My one note on the show. And as always, another episode coming soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.